0: Hello everyone, this is Darshan Maharaja welcoming you to episode number 34 of the elevator chat series of Our Canadian Journey. As you know, I have been talking extensively about the international student situation for a while. Many others have been doing that as well. It is worth noting here that most of these were independent voices. The public pressure that built up as a result has finally forced the federal government to act by putting a temporary cap on the numbers uh, for two years, representing a 35% reduction from the current levels of intake. Right on cue after this announcement, objections to this cut have started to be voiced from the colleges and universities. I wish I could say that this brings a new element to the debate. Alas, it doesn't. It is the same old underfunding argument under which it is argued that the very viability of the post-secondary education sector hinges on accepting a very high number of international students who are said to be subsidizing the domestic students and keeping the institutions afloat. For the record, I don't think the argument of international students subsidizing domestic students is valid. Because the average domestic student graduates with something like $25,000 in debt. But let us take the second part of the argument as valid. That the high fees paid by international students keep the institutions afloat. And without these high fees, they would sink. Let's take that at face value and see where that argument leads us to. The lack of residential facilities for international students has been extensively commented upon. It is generally known that these students have to live in homeowners' basements or investor-owned houses in cramped conditions. This has driven up rents and house prices to crazy levels. To be sure, there are other factors at play here pushing up the prices. But the demand from international students is a significant factor. The end result is that housing, whether rented or owned, has been pushed beyond the reach of many Canadians. Too many, in fact. Let us pause here, take a step back and ponder what this means. To start with, a question that should be obvious but somehow isn't why is it important that post secondary education sector remain viable my answer and i'm sure yours too is this so that canadian kids can get the education needed to help them succeed in life the next perhaps equally rhetorical question is what do we mean by succeed in life for the longest time home ownership was an integral part of what constituted this success But that is impossible for an increasing number of Canadians, including the kids in the post-secondary stage of their education. Once they complete their education, they have no reasonable prospect of being able to own a home and in some cases even being able to rent a place. In a nutshell, the two goals of ensuring the viability of post-secondary education sector on one hand and giving our kids the educational resources that are needed to succeed in life, on the other hand, have become mutually exclusive. Previously, they went hand-in-hand, whereas now they are in competition with each other. As far as I have seen, the coverage in mainstream media has focused exclusively on the former, i.e., the threat to the viability of the post-secondary education sector, The threat as posed by the cut in the numbers of intake. I wonder why. I wonder why this one-sided coverage happens. I would argue that the latter challenge of ensuring that our kids (laughs) succeed in life is of greater importance and therefore should take priority. This is because the education sector does not exist for its own sake, but rather to serve the interests of the society around it. Therefore, when the interests of the education sector are in conflict with those of the society, the latter must prevail. To put a fine point on it, if kids are assured that they will get good education because the education sector is viable, but making it viable makes it impossible for them to uh, live reasonably prosperous lives, then what is the point? Another point to think about is what happens when the Canadian kids currently in the education system graduate and hopefully get into the workforce. What happens to their housing? Sadly, we already know about the lady who was working as a nurse and was forced to live in a van. In my younger days, I'm talking about some 50 years ago, the Indian economy was in an extremely bad state and young people completing their education could not find employment. The term educated unemployed became common. The way I see the situation in Canada, we already have educated and employed but homeless. As the housing unaffordability continues in Canada, while more and more young people complete their education, I fear that the relatively few cases of the employed but homeless people may rise substantially. In that case, there will naturally be questions as to whether we made the right choice by prioritizing the viability of the post-secondary education sector over the welfare of a whole generation of children. So, what is the way forward? I am not sure and would like to, would love to in fact, hear your views in the comments. Until we meet again, goodbye and be well.